You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. into today's show, I want to say a thank you to our show's sponsor, Jane. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that many nursepreneurs use to run their clinics and they love it. Jane is a cloud-based practice management software with a full suite of time-saving features like online booking, streamlined payments, customized chart templates, unlimited reminders, and award-winning waitlist notifications. Jane's beautiful interface also translates to your online booking site too, where you can customize it with your clinic's logos and colors. And this allows you to authentically showcase your branding and provides an elevated online booking experience for your clients too. See Jane save you a lot of time at jane.app slash medical aesthetics. Now on to today's show. Hi, this is Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneurs Podcast. Today, we have Cassie Choi on with us from the PEAR team. Um, Cassie, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. Yeah, sure. So why don't you start out by giving us a little background about you as a nurse, um, you know, your career, and, and then we'll talk about how it got you to where you are. Sure thing. So I started out, I went to nursing school in Boston at Northeastern. And so while I was there doing co-ops, I worked a lot in underserved populations, uh, working in homeless shelters and outreach vans in the community, and then worked in the emergency room for two years and really saw the impact of the plus sides of mass health, but also really how poor um, access we provide to underserved populations. I left Boston and went to New York City and worked at New York Presbyterian up in Washington Heights and critical care. And again, saw the discrepancy between the folks who were coming in um, as a neighborhood access point versus folks who were coming uptown for like the more VIP experience. I quit without a plan, decided to move to California, and I actually used travel nursing as a way to try to find a health system that aligned with my, my values. Um, worked at Kaiser, UCSF, all of that. And I just kept seeing it over and over again. And I was super frustrated. And so left without a plan. And luckily, somehow I had uh, all my skills on LinkedIn and a stealth startup reached out to me, recruited me, and I joined as an early employee building out clinical operations for the company that is now Forward, um, helped launch their clinics. My co-founder comes from there. Um, from there, went on to build another tech-enabled primary care network called Circle Medical. So built out all of their clinics and really launched their current model. And then took a step back four and a half years ago and really thought about, you know, where do I want to spend my time and my energy? And I wanted to put it back into, you know, this problem that I've been seeing for, for 10 years. So. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> you know, that was, that's pretty amazing. Um, one, you've been in some pretty heavy cities uh, and two, um, I, you know, I, I really like this story. I like that, uh, you know, you were on LinkedIn and somebody found you and uh, you started doing something. Was that in your comfort zone or were you just like, you know, like no problem, I can do it? Or or did you have some hesitations? <laughs> Not. I think everybody faces imposter syndrome, but I think especially nurses, because I think we go into it with like a clear, you know, box of what nursing will be and what our career paths could look like. And so I actually got recruited first to just help them draw blood. They were trying to experiment with on-site testing. And when I showed up, it was a lot of engineers and not a lot of you know insights around healthcare, and I had never worked in primary care. Um, so again, another place where I sort of was 
curious to learn more, um, but I really just dove in because the idea of having an idea, seeing it come to life, try it, and have people around me who, you know, are really smart and trying to do the same things was really exciting. But it took a lot of skill building, learning how to project manage and work with the product team and all these different things that were really awesome to learn. And over time, what I've realized is that nurses really have these skill sets. We just don't think about it the same way. You know, project management really is, you know, care planning and, you know, multidisciplinary team uh, collaboration. And so learning how to find those equivalents and also thinking back to like, you know, when you were a nursing student and going in for clinical the first day, trying to take a, you know, manual blood pressure, you're petrified, sweating, you don't think you're going to do it. And then, you know, before long, all these things just sort of come to you. Um, so I found that sort of same experience going into uh, innovation. Yeah, that's funny that you say that, because well, one of my first jobs, uh, I was down in South Texas, and um, I went into this room, I was working night shift, and I had to get this IV in uh, this patient and I, you know, it was maybe, I don't know, three weeks out of school or something, you know, they don't teach you how to put IVs in, in, in nursing school. Yeah. So I, I was in there and I, I struggled. I, I may have stuck her two, maybe three times. And she was this old nurse. And finally she was like, just give me the damn thing. And she did it herself. And it was, it was so humiliating that, you know, I, I really took it upon myself to, to learn that skill set. But, um, you know, the idea of nurses as project managers is something that came to me as well uh, in running my business um, because you're right. It's exactly what nurses do. Nurses are like the project manager and we, you're right. We don't think of it in the same way, but everybody comes to us and then we have to divvy out like who's going to do what and who's going to see the patient. Well, no, you got to wait and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and it is, it's all project management uh, that we do as nurses. We just don't recognize that skill set um, in the clinical setting as that's what we're doing. Right. And, and when I talk to other nurses, right, becoming a founder you know, is like a scary leap. But again, like we know how to do these things, right? Like identifying a problem that you want to solve is like assessment, right? You know, working with doctors to figure out the right care plan and then following up to like after you implement it to see if it's working, reassessment, care planning, teaching, you know, family patients and family members things is really about educating your team and your investors, all these things. And you start to just see so many parallels. And I think if nurses knew that ahead of time that like it's not easy but it's in it's within you um i think it makes it a little bit easier to to go into a place where you can make a difference in the healthcare system in a different way than at the bedside yeah and even marketing and sales if you think about it marketing is about influencing people and educating them and sales yeah. is about you know convincing them to to do what it is that you wanted them to do and uh somebody said to me one time you know if you can your nurses are great sales people because is like if anybody can get that patient with dementia to take their pills, it's a nurse, right? <laughs> and that, yeah. that's a sales, you know, that's a sales skill set that they have for sure. Yeah, we're super scrappy, right? Like using IV tubing to hold up a bag that came, that came broken so you can't hang it. Like we're just scrappy and innovative. Um, so it's just nice to see a place where you can flex those skill sets. And I didn't actually know any of this even existed um, before I moved to San Francisco. Wow. Okay. So, so you had this opportunity to work in this startup um, and how long were you there? Um, about a year. About a year. Okay. And then um, they did another, another startup called Circle Medical. Is that right? Am I understanding? Yeah, so this a different okay. one. So I really liked working at Forward. It was really cool to see what we were doing, but 
you know, we in San Francisco, you walk past so many people who are underserved before you walk into this multi-million dollar beautiful clinic where people are paying a lot of money for like, you know, responses in two minutes, 24-7 access. I'm like, that's great. But I was like, this isn't really where my heart is. And so I started doing just some consulting projects, right? Like people would like ask me like, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And I found myself working with a lot of, you know, technologists trying to figure out how to operationalize a, an idea in healthcare. So I did a few of those. And then one of my projects was with Circle Medical. Their business model was completely different. They were the doctor that comes to you and they were sending physicians around San Francisco in Ubers and couldn't find a way to make the fee-for-service cover all that because they can't do enough appointments in the day. And I was like, guys, like, with traffic and like just it'll never work and so really came in to think about like what is the business model and one thing that perked my ear was that they're like patients keep showing up at our engineering office because they look us up and you know as a primary care provider and I was like well you know build something that you know your customers want and so built out a clinic in San Francisco with you know more concierge sort of services without paying having someone pay for it above their their insurance costs so that was really cool okay and so from circle medical then um, you decided to start your own business and that's pair team is that correct that's right so after two years at circle medical again I was like we're coming back to the same thing right tech enabled primary care to make it a better experience for people and although that's like a really big opportunity. There's a lot of room to improve healthcare. Um, I just was like, I feel like I'm just going to get burnt out helping, you know, people my age with really, you know, educated people try to get their dermatology appointment. And I know that they know how to advocate in Google search and ZocDoc. So I was looking at other roles and I had an offer to go to a Series C uh, medical device company, which would again be a new thing for me. I wasn't in that part of the FDA process and was looking at a Wharton MBA because people were like, well, you've done all this, you might as well go get an MBA. And then my now co-founder, Neil, would call me like every single day. He'd know if I was going for an interview and just talk to me of like, hey, like, what do you think about this? How are you going to solve XYZ problems? And he was just, he's a good salesman, just selling me on this idea of starting a company. And I reflected, I was about to turn 29. I was like, what do I want to do? And I found myself, you know, really isolating that I wanted to be part of something that I truly believed had to exist in the world, that there was no other way that this, that it couldn't exist. So I looked for a lot of startups that were doing things like that. And I just couldn't find something that truly resonated with me. And then the other part of it was that I wanted to learn more about myself. And I think to the point of, you know, this journey going into startups, you learn so many things that you're capable of and maybe not capable of, but you like or capable of, but you don't like. And I just want to sort of keep going down that path of figuring out all the things that I was capable of. And so, you know, we're an MBA maybe, but I realized that starting a company with Neil would sort of accomplish both of those things. And so funny story, my now husband proposed to me on a Sunday and I texted Neil because we're really good friends. And he was like, let me take you out for lunch, um, you know, Tuesday to celebrate. So two days later, and we sat down and he took my hand and he said, this is the official ask, like, will you be my co-founder? And so we <laughs> joked that I got proposed to twice in one week for like life-changing decisions. <laughs> That is awesome. <laughs> um, and you were able to accept both of them. So that's even more yes. amazing. Yes. <laughs> Two proposals. Um, okay, cool. So, and that was four and a half years ago. Yeah, January, 2019. Okay. Uh, right before the pandemic too. Uh, yes. Okay. And so how did the pandemic affect uh, what you guys were doing? 
Yeah, it was super interesting. So, you know, we started the company, got into Y Combinator, was really building around, our principle was that brick and mortar uh, you know, clinics like we've built before, they just don't, one from a business perspective, don't scale very well. They're very capital intensive. But from the perspective of us trying to figure out a way to create more access for a specific population, you're like, you have to be virtual or virtual first. Um, and the other one was high touch care really improves outcomes over time. And so our initial market was in direct primary care, which is a membership based model similar to forward, but we were really able to use that as a testing ground to make sure that you know, providers would you know, work with and trust a team that they've never met in person, that patients would text with people that they've never met at the clinic, and that we'd have an opportunity to build out the, the tech behind it and the platform that we needed to coordinate the care. And it's interesting because it actually gave us a really good look at these underserved populations and an alternative access point in direct primary care. A lot of these folks who are, you know, very complex medical conditions who are on Medicaid pay for an extra support system with these PCPs in direct primary care, or there's a lot of folks who don't qualify for Medicaid or can't afford ACA. So they're the gap patients that fall there. And so being a part of their care really exposed us to the different ways that we could evolve a model to meet them. And then we moved over into thinking about like, where is the business model around improving outcomes and looked at, you know, typical like pay for performance, HEDIS metrics, care gap closure. So we started launching that and then COVID hit. And it was an interesting time for us because we were really good at coordinating. So we got involved with setting up, you know, the first um, vaccine and testing sites in San Bernardino County alongside our clinic partners, really helping them as you know, a safety net provider do all the scheduling and back end and complex stuff that they're not you know, set up to do, but really from a perspective of access can provide those resources to their population. And um, you know, talk to folks about like drive-through um, vaccinations and testing and things like that. We just kept coming back to like, it's a bigger thing than this. And going back to the HEDIS care gap closures during COVID, so many people didn't get preventive care. And so middle of you know 2020, we started really pushing on bringing people back in for annual wellness exams, offering virtual access to close these care gaps. Um, and you know, I think COVID overall for us, although it was horrible, was a really good thing for us as a business and a country because it shine a light on the lack of equity. Um, and so if you look at the 2010s as the years of the decade of Medicare like innovation that resulted in Medicare Advantage, now we can say that the 2020s are the decade of Medicaid innovation and thinking about value-based models in Medicaid and health equity. And so that really just propelled us into what we're doing now. Okay. So how did these value-based models, how did they get funded, I mean, for underserved communities and stuff. So, you know, it's easy to imagine how like this works in, in, in the multi-billion dollar facility with, you know, the high paying membership cost and stuff, but, and, it's, and we do have a lot of nurses that are interested in underserved populations, uh, but it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around how do you support it? How do you fund something like this? Yeah. I mean, this was another thing, right? Being a nurse at the bedside, although you care for folks on Medicaid, you know nothing about that. You don't know what they're actually paying for afterwards, nothing like that. And so over the course of you know this journey, I've had to learn a lot about Medicaid. And so I'll speak high level and then more specifically around California, which is where our focus market is for right now. You know, Medicaid is funded by individual states versus Medicare, which is a federal thing. So there's a lot of standardization across the country for Medicare and value-based models in Medicare. But 
when you look at Medicaid, it goes state by state. And so you see innovative states like Massachusetts, to my point about Mass Health, really looking at, you know, being forward thinking around how to fund um, Medicaid access, but also and coverage, but also the outcomes that should follow it. And in California, um, our revenue model is really built around a regulatory change that came out um, early last year. Uh, it was a Medicaid expansion program called an 1115 waiver. And what that means is that states basically go to CMS at the federal level and say, hey, we'd love to try this innovative thing. Will you help fund part of it? So it's not all on our state budget. In California, it's called CalAIM, and they allocated $12 billion for this um, you know, Medicaid expansion program to integrate social services into the healthcare ecosystem, really saying that you know, high-risk folks need a navigator to help them around. Thinking about, you know, Camden Coalition, where they paired CHWs, community health workers, with patients and seeing outcomes there. And so California launched this, and we were like, we do this all the time. Like, we've always done this. We just weren't really getting paid for it, but knew the impact it would have on outcomes. And so we evolved our, our model, and really we get, so to answer your question, we get paid by state budgets by way of Medicaid health plans. Okay. And that wasn't what you originally thought you were going to, how you were going to get paid, is it? No. So before when we were doing HEDA's care gap closure, um, in a lot of Medicaid programs, they incentivize providers to close care gaps with additional bonuses. In California, um, Medicaid providers are paid a flat capitation, so a per patient per month. And they're usually getting about $15 uh, for primary care, whether someone comes in or not. And so they're not really incentivized to bring people in because it costs a lot to see them and they're not getting paid back. These quality bonuses were ranging from $3 to $15 additional if you could close a ton of care gaps across your population. And so pair team would just say, if we can increase your quality score, we'll share whatever increase you have on your bonuses. And we were really able to help clinics. Some of our clinics were the top performers in their counties, um, but the that it's really small revenue. And for me as a nurse, I think one of the hardest parts was figuring out how to align you know, a business model around something that I just truly believe should be free um, and it's the right thing to do. And then I sort of had this like, you know, moment where I realized that if we don't have a good business model or a sustainable business model, we can't grow this offering to more communities. And ultimately, it would be for nothing because we've lost trust in offering a service that then goes away. And so that was a big change for me in thinking about, you know, how do we take the next step uh, to be a more sustainable business? And now we, we are. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, and so that uh, you guys were basically consultants for these primary care and, and sharing, doing profit sharing with them based on um, the bonuses they got from closing the gaps of, of, yeah. of care. Okay. You're basically like a, you know, ancillary care coordination team, like white label does them, um, you know, calling and getting people in for annual wellness exams, helping patients get to their mammograms after their appointment. Cause there's a lot of spots, you know, in the continuum of a care gap closure where things fall through the crack. And at first we were like, well, people just need to know they need to come in and help afterwards. Then we we're like, well, it turns out providers actually don't know what care gaps to close because they're just often overwhelmed. So we mm -hmm. gave them tooling and then, you know, 
they don't know how to bill, even if they do, they don't know how to bill to get credit for it. So we really looked at the full journey of, you know, how fragmented the healthcare system is for safety net providers and the lack of resources that they have to do their, their job. And these folks are all very mission oriented, right? They've been doing this for a long time. They're not getting paid very much to do it. And so, you know, how can we help them um, despite, you know, providers often don't want to change. I know that we all no. are like, oh my God, a new EMR pathway or a new <laughs> you know, spot to insert information. It's really hard to change, but um, it was a really good chance for us to look at at that and figure out how do we play a role in the broader ecosystem. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, honestly, that's amazing that you found that, uh, that, that money in that aspect of it, because it's hard to th- to think through those things and see where a business model could be made out of that. So that was really incredibly innovative. Did you have a hard time selling your services to these clinics or were they like, thank God, somebody's here to help? Yeah, I mean, I think for the quality, the the care gap closure, um, it varied, right? I think, you know, leadership always wants more money, but it comes down to, you know, the staff. Like, are they happy that we're calling and bringing in more patients? Probably not. So it's it had a lot of friction, but now that we're in this Calane program doing complex care management, we really, you know, patients know us as pair team, not the clinic that we were calling from before. And we contract directly with the health plans. And because they have to offer this complex care management program to their members because of this state, you know, regulation, um, it's really easy to go to them and say, look at our amazing results. We're going to be a great provider. We can move quickly through the contracting process. And now that we we've you know we have over fifteen hundred patients under management right now, really big team caring for them. We're in four counties in California. It's like we can't do everything virtually, right? Like we've really tried to reduce the barrier to patients accessing our our care teams. So we just text and phone call with them. So you know these populations don't always have a smartphone or you know access to a Zoom call for a telemed visit, but. Most people actually do have a phone. You just have to be mindful of like, when do they get their minutes renewed and teaching them how to save our number. But sometimes people just, even if they can talk to our nurse practitioner or our nurses around a triage, sometimes they just need someone to look in their ear and see if they have an ear infection. And so we've really put a lot of work over the last year into building networks and in these communities that we partner with. And so you can think about it like a clinically integrated network where we pass healthcare dollars onto our partners, um, you know, our PCP partners to do coordination with us for onsite care, our nonprofits like um, homeless shelters and food pantries. How do we all work together and who plays a, uh, what sort of role in long-term outcomes and cost savings in the healthcare ecosystem? Um. Do you uh, sometimes look back at what you've done and are like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no. sometimes I'm like, wait, what? And one of the things that really dawned on me was at our holiday party last year, I think we were like just under 30 people and now we're about 75 in just a couple of months. And um, it's exciting to see and see all the impacts that we're having, but it's it's wild. I feel like we just blinked, but at the same time in startups, as you know, like it's a long slog where every day feels really long and yet at the same time fast. So, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing what you guys are doing. So what is kind of like the, the big, big vision, like maybe in five years from now, what, or the ideal thing that you would love to see? Yeah. I mean, from a mission perspective, right. It's improving the well-being of underserved communities. And that's why it's not just you know, individual patients, we're thinking about how do we uplift communities so that our safety net system is actually adequate to serve the, their communities, 
but also long term, our communities are also impacted by significant healthcare spend and Medicaid budgets are ballooning like crazy. We all know that we spend too much money on healthcare in America without the right outcomes. And so we're really building our care model around how do we reduce total cost of care and then leveraging that into a cost, a shared savings sort of model like you know, most, most startups move into, but for us, we think about it as instead of just taking on, you know, risk um, or sharing in the savings or taking the risk of, you know, costing more than what we could uh, save, we really think about it as we have, I mean, as you've seen over the four years, right, we've done a lot of work to learn and make incremental progress to be thoughtful about what we do next. And right now we have an opportunity to care for a lot of different populations, those who are homeless, high utilizers, kids in foster care, um, justice involved folks, and thinking about where does our care model work really well? Where do we need to iterate it to meet that population? And where are we just not not the right thing for that population? We can't be everything to everyone. So it gives us a good chance to use data and, you know, iterate on the care model to get there. Well, uh, really, really impressive. Uh, I love this mission. I love what you're doing, and you know, congratulations on on doing this because it's it's so needed and it's it's very very well done. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, all right, Cassie. So, if people want to find out more about what you guys are doing, or you know, even if they could get involved, or how would they get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing? Definitely. Our website is pairteam.com, P-A-I-R team.com. You can email me at Cassie at pairteam.com or find me on LinkedIn. I love chatting with nurses who are thinking about how to change the healthcare system for the better. And I think we are most poised to make a huge difference because we're just so entrenched in the actual operations of care. And so if you, you know, want to just chat about how I did it or, you know, find a way to get involved, or if you work at a hospital system in California or beyond where you know, being able to refer a patient to our care after the discharge, like hit me up. It's a long journey. And especially in healthcare, it's, you know, surface area for luck by who, you know, and who cares about what you're working on. So would love to. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Katie Harris saying, thanks for listening. Remember, if you're a nurse who is ready to start this type of business that you heard about here today on this podcast or any other idea that is burning a fire inside of you, let's talk it out. Click the link inside the show notes to schedule your private discovery call with my team. No sales. This call is just to determine what your idea is and if we can help. Until next time, keep making your impact, nursepreneurs.